0: going to need we're going to be interacting some in this lesson so let's, uh, <clears throat> let's work on it good morning thank you that's good we're going to need your voices a little bit in this lesson I'm going to need some participation from you both in voice uh, and in thought uh, and in also uh, patiently bearing with me those three things should do it my name is David Wheat I'm not the regular preacher here our regular preacher Jeff Dunn is out of town uh, performing a marriage for a former member here in another city, I encourage you to come back uh, if you're visiting uh, and hear a professional uh, who's leading us through a series in 2 Corinthians now. It's very useful. So please, um, at another time, if you will. So, let me see. Are my slides up? Working on it. This the face of God. I just shuffled my uh, notes a little bit. Let's see if I can unshuffle them. Uh, what does the face of God look like? Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to disappoint you at the end, but um, I do think the Bible uh, tells us or gives us some hints about what God's face looks like. We're going to uh, talk about that today. Um, uh uh, my style is a little bit, um, one of my favorite songs, it's old, it's Stephen Curtis Chapman, it's called The Great Adventure. There's a phrase in there, in that song that says, we're going to leave long-faced religion in a cloud of dust behind. I'm on a one-man crusade to leave long-faced religion in a cloud of dust behind. Now what, what that means is, we're going to talk about it, I believe, a very serious topic. I'm very... Uh, committed and, ser- and, and involved in this topic, but we're going to have a little fun along the way doing it, if that's okay with you. Your faces look a little long, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Good, that's better. Let's leave long-faced religion in a cloud of dust, at least for this morning, if you don't mind. Um, let's start off with a prayer. Holy Father, we just thank you for this time to come out from the world and be together, and Father, the opportunities today to encourage one another and to bless one another, and to pray with one another, and to send each other back out into that world renewed. Uh, We pray, Father, that we will not miss one of those opportunities this morning. Father, be with us in this lesson. I pray that your words and your voice and your Holy Spirit will come through. pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. All right, let me get my notes organized here. So, what does the face of God look like? Let's go explore. By the way, that's the... uh, that's Michelangelo's impression. He painted the face of God a couple times on the Sistine Chapel. That's the roof of a chapel. You have to look at it like this. And that is where we, we, we've been there. My family's been there when we were much younger. And we found out at the Sistine Chapel that our son Nathan needed glasses. <laughs> because I say, see, oh, look, that's interesting right there. You can see God's rear end flying away. And this is true. Sorry, but... Um, And he'd say, oh, yeah, no, I don't see it. And be like, right there. Um, Go over to the thing and then up and he couldn't see it. And so I call that the Sistine Chapel eye test. It's very expensive. I don't recommend it. Uh, So the Sistine Chapel um, is where we kind of get these notions of what God's face looks like. Old, a little angry in this case, gray, cloudy, those kinds of things. Well, let's see. So I always forget if red is on. green is on. okay good so when we study the bible one of the things i've noticed that can be a little bit of a danger is especially when we've heard stories a lot of times the people in those stories become less human beings and more kind of cardboard cutouts or flannel grams because they do some pretty incredible or amazing things and we just say well of course they did And we sort of take the humanity out of the real people in the Bible. And so they do things, but what did they feel? Were they afraid? Were they nervous? Did they have to think it over? Yeah. The mic? Sure. Not awkward at all. Am I good? Can you hear me? Do I need to stand? They become characters in the story. And they become predictable. And we don't sympathize with their feelings. And so in my mind, sometimes we insert these phrases. Well, of course they did. So I'm going to give you some examples. And I want you to say them along with me. David is a shepherd boy. He's not a soldier. His weapon of choice is a rock and a leather sling. And he comes and finds the entire trained professional army of Israel with armor and sword and spears and a king. And they're not fighting because there's a nine-foot killer named Goliath that's challenging them all. And David, who's a shepherd boy, says, I'll do it. And we say, well, of course he did. I wouldn't. I'd say I'm right here behind you guys. Get that armor, maybe like outflank him, head fake him, do something. And, and And I'm sure he felt things When he was doing that, when he was picking up his five stones, I'm sure he's thinking, "I hope this is the right stone, you know, please fly true." I think so. When Mary, the mother, future mother of Jesus, gets visited by an angel and says, "Hey, even though you're a virgin, not yet married, you're pregnant by God," she didn't curl up in a ball in an anxiety attack under her bed, but she had every right to. I bet she felt like that, but she overcame it to sing a praise to God. And so because, you know, when she sings this praise to God, and then she says, praise to God, we sort of skip the feeling part, and we say, well, of course she did. And I think we need to realize these people were feeling things when they went through these things. And the Bible can't record every feeling and every emotion, but we know they were human beings, and they felt these things. So we're going to come to this later. We're going to do this one more time. A Little bit later, so remember that thing that we just did. Um, I believe that the people in the Bible were real and felt things just like you would have felt if you were in that same situation. Even if you overcame and stepped out on faith, you might feel nervous, you might feel anxious, you might say, I hope this works, <laughs> those kinds of things, and that would be good. So, if we're going to find, if we're going to know what God's face, I, I meant to say, I shouldn't assume anything. If you've seen God's face, ...enough to draw it for us, I brought this. Because maybe I'm wrong, and if you know, we can just skip a lot of slides and you can draw it. Anyone? Okay, no, well, um, just I didn't want to assume. So, since nobody here knows what God's face looked like, how will we know? How can we find out? And really, we need to find somebody else who has seen God's face, is my answer. We need to find a reliable witness... Who is reliable, that we can trust, that we that says they've seen God's face and can describe it to us? And that's what we're going to go on a hunt for today is is that person uh, that knows what God's face is. And we're going to listen to them describe it to us. So we're going to be in Genesis today. We're going to start off in Genesis uh, 32. Um, my printer didn't work quite right, so I'm going <clears> to <throat> go old school here. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter... We're kind of going to be in the middle of this story of Jacob's life. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Jacob in a minute. But our character here, that we're the human that we're talking about, is Jacob. And he, in Genesis chapter 32, is really at a crossroads in his life. I mean, literally, a crossroad. And I'm going to read it to you. Um, there are things in this verse that you're going to get distracted by. And I can't explain them to you today because of time. So, uh, try to stay past the distractions, and I'll point them out to you in case you need to be distracted. Uh, 32 22 That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Sometimes the Bible just sneaks up on you, it doesn't give you an explanation. It's just in the same sentence. He stayed there at night and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. I don't have time to explain it. That's what your paid ministerial staff is for. Um, um, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go for it's daybreak and I'm a vampire. Nope, it doesn't say... It doesn't say the last part, but that's distracting, isn't it? That he says, let me go, because it's daybreak. I don't have... We're not talking about that today. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said... Please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So, this is the part that's important to our lesson. Don't get distracted here. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip, Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip and because tendons are nasty. It also doesn't say that. (laughs) But I think it's really sacrificial of the Jews not to eat that tendon (laughs) Um, uh, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. The limping, the touching, the man, I don't have time for that today. uh, But uh, the, the man was not a man. We know that because he went, boop, this is who I am, here's my calling card. We wrestled all night, I could have done this, boop, at any time. And I'm doing it now. And the limp that I'm going to have for a few days, life, I don't know, is going to be so that you can remember that. So, theologians might debate whether this was an angel or God himself. That's what theologians do. They spend time debating that stuff. Which is why they don't get invited to parties. Um, but I'm going to take Jacob's word. He named that place Penny L. Anytime you see E-L in the Bible at the end or beginning of a name, it means God, Jehovah, Elohim. It's a shortening of that. And so I don't have time to get into Jacob's name either. He gets named Struggles with God. Or struggles, comma, with God. I don't have time for that either. But I think it's struggles, comma, alongside of God. The Jabbok, where he crossed, which is a river, he names Peniel. I saw God face to face here. And I'm inclined to believe that Jacob knew who he had wrestled with. A human manifestation of God. Okay. So that's our witness. Our first witness. And we're going to see how that comes... Later. so I covered this already. I made my theologian joke, yes. Um, so he's also crossing a border. I mean, this is why this is, I think this is a crossroads of his life. He gets a new name. Pretty much only God gives people new names in the Old Testament. He's crossing a river which is a very symbolic part of the Old Testament. That's when they're entering a new land, they're crossing a border. something big is about to happen. They're being prepared for something. I think this is a huge event. In Jacob's life. Now, let's go backwards. So, that's Jacob in the middle of his life at this crossroads. We have to understand for the full story what went on in his life before this point. So, I've created this timeline of dysfunction, the L and we're going to look backwards and go forward. So, in Genesis 25, Jacob is born. He's a twin, his twin brother is Esau. Esau is born first. They are fighting literally from the moment they came out of the womb. Literally. I'm not using that in millennial, literally. I'm using it in literal, literally. Literally, they were fighting each other as they came out of the womb. Uh, The beginning of their dysfunction. Uh, They were very, very, very different. Esau was a man's man. He hunted. He probably fished. He went outdoors a lot. He was hairy, Um, which I think is the mark of a true man, obviously. (laughs) Um, Jacob, uh, and, and so, because his dad liked wild game, his dad was Isaac, he became Isaac's favorite son. I don't recommend, parents, that you declare which one of your kids is your favorite, but Isaac did. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, liked Jacob. The reason she liked Jacob is Jacob cooked. Jacob was all about the food network and... Collecting recipes and going to the grocery store to find new and interesting ingredients and cooking. I'm not lying, except for the modernization of the shopping. He was a cook. He was a domestic type. He was an indoor man. He just liked not going out and getting dirty. And he liked instead to cook. And so his mother Rebecca declared him her favorite. Also, when we're studying the Bible, we should have permission to say, that's messed up. We should not honor. It's not good to have favorites. Their family was messed up. It should give your family a lot of hope because they ended up doing some pretty great things in God's kingdom. Anyway, so in Genesis 25, um, Esau comes back from the field and he's really hungry and he's not smart and he's a little bit impulsive. And Jacob says, and Jacob's cooking up some really good food. And and Esau says. Um, Give me some food. And Jacob says, hmm, this guy really, really wants food. What can I get out of this? Hey, if you'll just give me half, if you give me your half of the birthright, I'll feed you. And Esau says, yeah, whatever. Okay, fine. And he does it very impulsively, stupidly, really. And he gives away half of his birthright, half of an inheritance for a bowl of porridge, or because of the icon I could find, a steaming plate of pasta with meatballs, which is a little bit more... Uh, resonates more with me than, than porridge or whatever Jacob was making. But, um, and so, so they're already manipulating each other at, at these ages. And um, the only icon I could find for Rebecca and Isaac is this toxic symbol. Um, in Genesis 27, his mom says, hey, let's trick your dad out of Esau's blessing." He he can't see anyway, and he's old, and so we'll put some some kind of furry stuff on your skin, and we'll uh, you know we'll just trick him into giving your blessing. That ain't right, folks. That's messed up. Mom against you know mom and dad against each other, brother against brother. It's a wreck. And so they do that. They steal Esau's rightful blessing as the oldest son. By only a few minutes. And um, you know you could say that this is working God's will. Because there's a prophecy about this. I claim that God could have worked his will. Without this particular uh, deceit and dysfunction. And so that does not help their family draw closer together. Because now Esau's got nothing. And by rights as the oldest he should have everything. Part of it's his fault. Part of it's his mom and Jacob's fault. And so he li- it literally gets to this. And mom's. Tell your kids that the speaking man is just telling a story. But it got to this point where Esau said, I will kill you. Because that's the way people say that phrase. They don't say, I will kill you. They say, I am going to kill you as soon as dad dies. And apparently, because Esau was a pretty skilled killer of animals, they believed him and his rage was real and rebecca said jacob you have got to go and jacob fled their family and their tribe and their country with nothing he had to run away and so he he crosses over to another country to another land haran and he uh, has multiple has two wives there's a long story there he has two handmaids there's a long story there and he actually gets pretty blessed he becomes Fairly wealthy in the ranking of wealth at the time, herds and sheep and goats and things like that. And that time, by the way, before, these were not teenagers. They were about 70 years old, Jacob and Esau, when Jacob had to flee. And Jacob spent about 20 years apart from his family. No word, no communication, no relationship, and the last thing he heard was, I'm going to kill you. And his mom's saying, you better go. That's where he is at Penny L. The place where he wrestled with God and got a new name and said, I've seen the face of God. Um, That's 90 years of family history. And he's actually doing pretty well for a guy who had to run away from home. He's getting wealthy. He's got 11 sons. But then God uh, destroys His comfortable and safe life. And says in Genesis 31, go back to your land of your fathers and your relatives and I will be with you. And Jacob knew exactly what that meant. Jacob knew exactly what that meant. That means he's going to have a meet up with his brother Esau. It is unavoidable. You can't get from there to there without crossing through Esau's land. He knows immediately what that means. And he's got a choice to make, and he prepares to obey God. This is not the, well, of course, he did yet. He starts gathering up, and he is really, really scared. So he's gathering up to do this, and he knows that the first person he's going to meet is Esau, and Esau's and here's what he does starting in Genesis chapter 32 the first thing he does is he sends a messenger saying at least tell Esau I'm coming let's let's not surprise Esau and the messengers he gives them this message and the message is full of tell Esau and call him my Lord that your servant Jacob is coming your servant Jacob is coming Lord Esau the language of repentance really, and sorrerness and forgiveness is starting to, is in that language and the messengers come back and say we gave the message to Esau and he's coming with 400 men 400 men plus Esau is not a welcoming party that's a war party you don't need 400 men to say glad to see you again brother now i now, now, Esau hasn't been communicating with Jacob. He has no idea what, who Jacob is. Jacob might still be that lying, cheating, stealing, uh, ungrateful brother of his. So, when he hears this, Jacob goes into great fear and distress. It doesn't just say fear and distress. It says great fear and distress. And he prays this prayer to God. And this becomes important later, so I want you to listen to this. In uh, Genesis th- chapter... Um, 32, 7 through 12, I'm going to read his prayer right after he says, I'm so afraid. He says, O oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. That's a very human prayer. God, I know who you are, but this is happening. But I still know who you are, but this is happening. I don't know what to do. And he he works through that with that prayer and decides to keep moving forward. So what he does next is... He sends Esau's way, they're obviously quite a ways away now, but he sends Esau's way five different groupings of herds. It doesn't matter the order, but it's goats and sheep, sheep, sorry, goats and sheep, and camels and donkeys, and a fifth thing uh, cows. Cows. Lots of them, hundreds of them at a time. I mean, this is a rich man's offering. And he does a very clever thing, he puts space between them. So one gets to Esau with a message. The message says, your servant, humble language Jacob, sends these to you, my lord Esau. He's communicating. He's trying to let Esau know where he's at now. And he does that five times because there's this space between the herds. Um, And then Penny L happens. So after where we started is where He says, I've seen God face to face. And I want to stop here. The cynic might say, Jacob is not trusting God. Because he's trying to do all these things to butter up his brother Esau. And there's probably room for that argument. I think that he's being wise. I think he's communicating with Esau where he's at now. You were my older brother you had the right to the birthright. That means I would have been your servant and you would have been my Lord. And I cheated and turned those around, but now I come to you as my older brother, with me your servant and you my Lord. I think he's being wise. Or maybe he's just not trusting God. It, it, it's, it's certainly debatable. But then Peniel happens, he gets his name changed, and now he looks up from Peniel. Right after Peniel, he looks up and he can see them. He's only heard they coming. But now he can see them. They are close. Esau and his 400 men. Um, So before we read, let me see. And so he panics a little bit and he kind of arranges his family. uh, Puts the favorites, the favorite wife and the favorite son farthest away. And the second favorite wife and the second favorite kids. This is all messed up. Uh, Next, next. Then the handmaidens, who are something not wives, and their children. But he, he does, then he goes in front of them. He does put himself first. So he's, he's kind of thinking this through. Maybe he's panicking a little bit. He approaches Esau, and as he draws nearer, he bows seven times. He walks a he bows. He walks a and he, he's communicating something to Esau. I think it's important to go back to this slide to look at at this point, because of all this horrible history, anything could happen. Anything could happen. Esau could draw swords and then be a battle. And God would probably help Jacob win, but there could be a battle. This is a lot to overcome. They haven't spoken For 20 years. And the last time they did speak, it was not good. And 70 years before that, it was all dysfunction. Anything at all could happen here. But here is what happened. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. can you imagine that weeping of the regret of the relief that both of, both of them were you know approaching each other in a way that could have been war but was peace you really have to feel the humanity there and not do this well of course they did the reason we know that there were other choices is because we all know families that aren't talking to each other after 20 years or siblings or, or neighbors it is not a given that 20 years or time heals all wounds it is hearts over time that change that heals all wounds not of course they did they were human beings they could have done anything but I think God was working on both of their hearts And so they did something very powerful that we can learn from. So I'm going to go back to this. Um, This is really the high point, in my opinion, of Esau's life. He does not have a great life. He is not a great Bible character. He becomes the leader of the Edomites, and the Edomites are just a pain for Israel the rest of the time. Not because of him, just because of his legacy. But he got this moment right. I mean, he nailed it. He ran and dropped his things and greeted his brother. Um, and so um, we'll, we'll give him credit where credit is due. Whoa, well, whoa. Well, well, got a little crazy there. So then Jacob says this to him. And this is kind of the punchline of the sermon title. Jacob says, he, you know, Esau says, what are all these gifts? I don't need these gifts. And he says, I want you to have them. And then Jacob said, For me to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you've received me in this way. Now, for, right now, I feel like I'm looking at the face of God because of the way you have treated me in this situation. Now, how do we know that Jacob is reliable as a person who can tell us what the face of God looks like? Well, well, From the time that he saw God at Peniel and named it that until he encounters Esau, it's only one horizontal Bible inch. Now, I know what you're saying. You're thinking, you're thinking, David, don't theologians have a pretty active debate about the horizontal Bible inch versus the vertical or columnar Bible inch? And I say, yes, they do, which is why theologians don't get invited to parties, Um, If you're new to the Bible, there's no such thing as a horizontal Bible hinge. I make up things. Uh, Nothing else I've made up except for this. But it is a real point. It is a real point. I've made it humorously, I hope. It wasn't long between when Jacob encountered God and named Peniel, I've seen God's face. And when he encounters Esau and says, seeing your face is like seeing God's face. I think he's a reliable witness about what it feels like to see God's face. Um, So what did Jacob see in Esau's face? We could probably open this to discussion, but here's what I think. First of all, that embrace. An embrace is what friends do because they're close and they trust each other. That embrace, I think, was the beginning of what he saw and felt in Esau. He had fear that was replaced by peace. Peace. He was afraid. He said it. He prayed it. He thought it. He planned for it. He was afraid. And that fear, because of Esau's, was instantly removed. And it was replaced by peace. I think he felt a sense of forgiveness for what he had done. Because that embrace and that I'm happy to see you without saying it, which maybe he did, we don't know, was me saying, I forgive you. It was a physical act of forgiveness. I think he had danger before. Now he felt safe. And, and the big word I would say, I think he felt relief. Such a burden lifted. 90 years, 70 plus 20, 20 years, I thought you were going to kill me. Gone in an instant. And he says in his joy, I feel like I'm seeing God's face. Let me catch back up with my notes. I think that's what God's face looks like. I think God's face conveys these kinds of things to people. Now, so, if you're an engineer or a computer programmer, I've written an if-then statement for you. If you're a regular person, I'll walk you through it. So here's the conclusion. If Jacob saw a face like God's in Esau's face, and if Esau was a human being, it means a human's face can show God's face to other human beings. Is my logic, programmers, engineers? Check. Probably some parentheticals on order of operations could be better. I understand. Thank you, John, for bothering me without my. Should have parentheses some stuff. But, uh, uh, algorithmic uh, mistakes aside, is that logic sound? I really wonder. Is it seam sound? Am I stretching? I might, might be. If Esau's face to Jacob looked like the face of God, then any human has the ability to show the face of God, the face like God's, to other people. So, I've asked you to kind of speak out a couple times as you've done. Thank you. And this is where you have to think. I want you to think about your oldest and deepest relational wound. Your 20-year wound. Your five-year wound. Your back when we were kids wound. The my mom and my dad did this to me wound. This isn't the funny part, is it? This is the hard part. I also want you to think about your newest, newest, and freshest wound, like from this morning, or yesterday, or two weeks ago. Do you know what the problem with your new and fresh wound is? It is starting already to become your oldest and deepest. Or to join a long list of old and deep wounds. So I bring this point forward because we might think over literally, Oh, this lesson is about my old, real, old wounds with my family. That would be true if it applies. I think that our opportunity to see God's face and to show God's face can be in any time that we, have, we encounter people either through conflict or hurt, or that just have a need to see something um, positive. So think about those things for a minute. Um, we, I don't even think we have to have, be in a hurt relationship or have a hurt to show the face of God to people. We can show the face of God to people we've known for five minutes by relieving them of their burden without judgment and with the face uh, like God's. So let's wrap up. So the question is, are you more like Jacob or more like Esau? Or I should have put none of the above, which is fine. Here's here's the Jacob scenario. Jacob was called to go heal that relationship. God said, you need to go back. I'm calling you to go back to Esau. And Jacob had done wrong things. And God was saying, I want you to approach him. I know you've done wrong things. I'm going to be with you, but you need to go. Maybe you're more like Esau. Esau could make an argument that he didn't start it. But it's a sin to threaten to kill someone. That's a relationship-destroying action. And so Esau knew that although he had some rights, he was at fault. And we don't really know what God was doing in Esau's life during this time. But I think it was something. I think it was softening his heart to what he contributed to in that. And Esau was willing to let Jacob approach. He was open to it. He'd been softened by that, even though he might have had claims. He knew he contributed something. There aren't many times in life, in my opinion, when humans have conflict, that there's not a little bit of blame to go around. Not always. Sometimes it's very one-sided. But most of the time, in human conflict, both sides have reasons uh, that they need to repent for. So, here's what I think the face of God looks like. It looks like your face. Showing the things that God has given you, forgiveness, and safety, and comfort, to somebody else. I think we all have the power for someone to look in our face at just the right moment in their life, and they may not say it, but they may feel comfort, and safety, and forgiveness, and relief. Because of what we, how we presented ourselves to them. By how we responded to them in that situation. Whether it involves a long conflict with them. Or whether it's just us meeting their needs with compassion and without judgment. I think the Bible tells us what God's face looks like in this story. Now God has a lot of faces. We can, we, you know, There's many ways that he shows his things like anger and things like that. But I think this is a beautiful story about brothers reconciling because they both worked to meet each other and that great relief when, when, when people really trust God and remember what they've been given and forgive and embrace I think the face of God is present and so I hope you have an opportunity to think about that this week I hope you have an opportunity to think about how your face and your actions and your embrace and your forgiveness might be just the face that someone needs to see. And that they will praise God because you used this story and your life to do that. Uh, I appreciate you listening. I encourage you to come back next week if you're visiting and hear uh, Jeff. We're going to stand and sing now. I hope this has been an encouragement to you.